Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for intel, forecasts, and success strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. We appreciate you being with us. This segment is brought to you by RealCrowd. It's crowdfunding for the professionals. Check them out at realcrowd.com. Hey, today we're talking about the wild and woolly world of retail real estate. Wow, what a sector. It's been uh, a lot of changes going on, but where is retail? Is retail dead? Is it alive? Is it changing? What's going on? We're going to talk about it today. Please welcome my first guest. It's Jim Costello. He's Senior VP with Real Capital Analytics, and he's joining us on Skype. Jim, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me here. Well, Jim, is, uh, is the retail investment world, is it dead? <laughs> What's going on? First of all, where do you see for cap rate trends on uh, retail overall? You know, it's funny. This question, is retail dead? <laughs> There's very much a world of winners and losers. Uh, cap rate trends, they really haven't moved all that much in, in recent quarters. There's just a buyer-seller impasse. If you've got a great performing center, and, and there are great performing centers, you have very little incentive to sell. You could sell it, and you get a nice slug of capital. What do you do with it then? There's not some better in, investment opportunity. And with buyers and sellers so far apart and without sort of the right center selling, the, the market is a little bit stalled. We had our Q1 2018 report released last night. We saw deal volume for the quarter down 31% year over year. Well, that's interesting. So what's that doing to Capri's? You said they've been, the, the trends has been stable, but yeah. is, you know, what do you expect moving forward? Yeah. So this is a bit of a conundrum. You see deal volume falling and cap rates, they haven't really moved all that much. Maybe up 10 basis points over the last year. That's not enough to really uh, incentivize investors to step up and say, you know what, retail's a bargain, I'm going to jump in. The, the challenge is that you don't have uh, investors who currently own retail uh, tremendously incentivized to sell. What about what about the different property types, Jim? I mean, you know, we're kind of talking about retail U.S., all kinds of retail. What about grocery anchored centers versus malls versus maybe smaller properties? Well, deal volume, no matter what type of retail, is down across the board. There's uh, geographically, by subtypes, it's all got the challenge of the negative press uh, making investors uh, more cautious than they've ever been. Uh, now, at prices, there is some variation in terms of uh, growth and decline. When we look at, say, grocery anchored centers, there we saw uh, about a 5% uh, pace of growth uh, versus urban storefronts, uh, sort of the high street stuff is so uh, in uh, demand in New York. There, prices have been falling. We're down about uh, uh, half a percent over the last year. And, and that kind of uh, difference you know, in terms of ge geography uh, plays a key role. Manhattan property prices overall are starting to pull back from their peaks, and uh, retail in, in Manhattan is a large component of that uh, urban storefront story nationally, and, and that's uh, driving that uh, decline. So the grocery anchor tuners, you said the prices have gone up, not cap rates, but the prices have gone up about 5% overall around the U.S. in the last that's year? That's right. And that's in the last that's year? Right. And how is that, is that normal uh, when you look at historical numbers? Uh, it's a low pace of growth compared to history. Yeah, it, it's a type of growth that 
uh, has only been seen just ahead of uh, an actual a harsh downturn in prices. Yeah. So that's got investors on pins and needles. You know, you know, nobody wants to be the person who comes in and pays the highest price for an asset before a market correction. Yeah. And, and that's what people are a little bit fearful to, of today. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what's well, interesting, and you know, uh, we love to sell large, expensive, class A uh, retail properties, uh, but we don't get as many as we like at, at my shop, the headquarters here in Atlanta. But we do get a lot of kind of B uh, shopping centers, strip centers, uh, and retail centers, and they seem to be very hot. They, we seem to be getting lots of offers and, and some prices that kind of surprise me. So is there a variance between those kind of you know, five to fifteen million dollar properties. Then, then when you when you talk about retail overall, yeah, the liquidity in retail on the high end ha has really changed. Uh, the most expensive assets are, are simply not trading this much. If you think about just the pure regional mall type market nationally, uh, the best of the best. It, there were some transactions last year in 2017, but it was very thin. Most of the deals in that pure kind of regional mall market were in the $40 a square foot and under range. And that's pretty amazing in terms of a, a price change. Uh, some of those assets, for instance, in the last boom involved in the Centro deal were priced anywhere from $150 to $200 a square foot. So some massive losses in value for those assets over time. But you know, it's, it's a sample bias issue. The best of the best hasn't really traded much. Now, that may change in uh, the coming quarters. You have two mall transactions that are either announced or kind of in play. You have uh, the Unival Rodamco uh, Westfield transaction and uh, the potential uh, takeover of uh, GGP by Brookfield. And so that mall market, you can see more information coming out of those deals. Uh, but last year, you know, the best of the best, you know, hardly anything traded. Most of what happened was that kind of B mall where either an investor was looking at that thinking, I can buy it at a low price and get some scabby type tenant in there that makes the whole thing pay off. What kind of tenants was that? Scabby. <laughs> okay. You know, what do you do with you know, some of these empty spaces? Right. Uh, you know, maybe less, uh, less of a credit tenant, uh, uh, you know, some, some uh, local retailer. Um, uh, uh, play with the mix of uh, tenants in the building. Uh, but then the other thing, in a few key locations uh, where uh, the city leadership is on board with the plan, redeveloping a mall and uh, taking advantage of all the real estate there. I mean, some of these malls, they're still in good locations within uh, uh, suburban locales that uh, one might be able to redevelop and to say, Take an old uh, anchor site that's empty, build an office building, uh, build some high-density housing, often just one of the unused parking lots. That kind of innovative, re adaptive reuse is where some of those uh, lower-grade malls will actually see activity. The, the thing is, uh, the other story that you, you talked about earlier, that you, know, uh, you were kind of talking down the fact that you're in Atlanta. Don't do that. <laughs> Atlanta is uh, a strong, growing part of the United States. The whole Southeast is. Most of the mall troubles are in the old industrial Midwest, where it was a combination of older and efficient properties in the 60s and 70s, you know, kind of that burnt orange tile and uh, <laughs> bright orange carpeting kind of mall. Yeah. Uh, but also the tenant base was aimed at sort of the middle market uh, consumer 
who worked in a factory and that that kind of industrial decline and all the political stories we've seen over on that over the last year you know that's where the, those malls are having trouble it's a midwestern uh, industrial story uh, the southeast you have a better uh, a better economy and better uh, potential for spending by consumers and so some of those malls may have a little bit more life okay so is the story still the same with uh, the the shopping centers and malls with the very high-end stores that that the affluent shop at and then the very low-end kind of bargain stores are the ones that are, are doing the best and uh, people who who sell to people like me <laughs> middle income are the ones suffering yeah, middle income is suffering. That and retailers uh, offering uh, offering up products to middle income are suffering, and it's it's just an ongoing squeeze in the middle. Yeah, and you mentioned the southeast is doing well. Is there anything else in your numbers, uh, Jim, that you see as trends as far as uh, cities or other regions around the U.S.? You know, one one region did actually generate uh, some positive deal growth in the last year. One tiny little area tertiary markets sort of in, in the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic states. Uh, it's, it's a story of uh, areas that are kind of proximate to some of the largest uh, metro areas. And, and one story that goes behind this is that there is a bit of an outflow of population. I look at some of the people in our own company here at Real Capital Analytics uh, who have moved uh, outside of New York uh, into Eastern Pennsylvania. Uh, into uh, some uh, more ruralish type of towns in Connecticut. Uh, home prices are expensive, and you know if you can telecommute, if you can visit the office maybe one day a week or a month, uh, you know that can help. And so I think you know some of those secondary and tertiary cities close by major markets have both a job growth opportunity and population growth opportunity as uh, consumers try and you know, make their dollars stretch a little bit further. And then there's a real estate play that goes with it as well. Yeah, so it's got the uh, the best of both worlds, right? Maybe you're getting a little better return, maybe a little better cap rate because it's a secondary tertiary market, but you've also, looks like you're gonna have job and population, population growth. Exactly. Yeah. Well, anything else, uh, Jim, that you see in the numbers? You guys do such a great job at looking at, uh, at the market and sales around the country. Uh, anything else that jumps out to you? Well, the one thing I would say is the headline number of a 31% decline year over year, uh, that, that, that's a really grabbing figure and it sounds bad. But part of that uh, headline figure is a little bit misleading. In the first quarter of last year, we had the Regency Center deal and it was so big and there was no deal like that in Q1 2018. So you know, if you look at just the sale of individual buildings and strip out all that uh, mega deal type stuff. Uh, you know, there we still had a decline. You know, there you still have buyers and sellers at an impasse, but it was only uh, about an eight percent year-over-year decline. So it's least worst, and so that's one uh, uh, less worse rather. So that's one aspect that I think is a bit favorable for retail. Yeah. Well, I like your point earlier too about uh, you know retail is is usually good real estate, and so there's other uses, and I think all these properties are extremely sellable, but. And the question is, you know, where's the value? What's the highest and best use on them? Well, Jim, what would you leave our audience with related to uh, retail today? You know, th there's a steady drumbeat of negative news on retail from the business press. I think you have to take those stories with a grain of salt. There still are uh, fantastic retail properties in good locations. Uh, the challenge is that, you know, some of the best of the best 
uh, owners may be less willing to sell in this market compared to the past. And, and so to deploy capital into retail, uh, it's just going to take a little bit more time, a little more patience to uncover the right opportunities. Yeah. All right. Well, good tip, Jim. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. If you'd like more information, uh, visit rcanalytics.com. If you want more information on our show, stay with us. We'll have more on retail. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Would you like access to invest in institutional quality commercial real estate with experienced sponsors with small amounts of money? Of course you would. Visit realcrowd.com. Choose between core, core plus, value add, or opportunistic. Visit realcrowd.com. Com. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. Are you a commercial real estate broker? Check out Apto, the leading web-based CRE software for managing contacts, properties, listings, and deals. Act on the information in your CRM to strengthen your relationships and grow your business. Visit apto.com slash CRE show. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I am Michael Ball. This segment is brought to you by GetValuate.com. Check it out. It's online investment analysis. And today we are talking about retail. And, you know, retail has gone through a lot of changes. Everyone knows about it. Uh, but one of the things that I think is interesting is how do you deal with tenants who are maybe struggling? How do you check out tenants today? I mean, you know, if, if everything's more about the experience and everything's more about what they're doing online, we have new concepts that we want to integrate with our national credit tenants. So I have an expert here with us in studio today, Nick Garcia, and he's director of leasing with Heinz. And uh, Nick, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here, Michael. Thank you for having me back. So yeah, I'm curious, you know, you're handling a lot of tenants at uh, Atlantic Station where you have a mixed use development with a lot of great tenants. It's a great development in Atlanta and, and you're uh, helping Heinz make these decisions on tenants and how to deal with these tenants. So, so first of all, how are tenants doing today? Because we were talking earlier, you know, it's in the press, everything's doing and gloom, but uh, how are tenants doing overall around the country and, and in retail today and, and, and in your place? Well, I don't think it's as bad as people make it out to be nationally. Yeah. And I, I hopefully the press will write a lot of positive stories as, you know, retail kind of reinvents itself and makes a, you know, general type of comeback. Um, not, no, they're not, they're not. They're, it's going to be <laughs> negative. Right, right. <laughs> but uh, I, th I think it's all over the board. And yeah. I think your, you know, A and better properties continue uh, to lead and lease up. And they continue to be, you know, desirable places for people uh, and tenants to want to be. Um, I think anything less than, say, a B-plus uh, single-use mall is going to have to kind of reinvent itself. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, uh, you're starting to see a lot of, you know, people that have been 100% online starting to open up stores. And they've got a lot of data, so they can they know where their customers are at, not just in a general market, but in kind of a micro market, literally by zip code, by street. So they're aiming a lot of their decisions, you know, based on the huge amount of data that they have. Um, so that's a dynamic that really hasn't been in retail for a very, very long time, and um, is kind of you know throwing a little bit of a curveball to traditional landlords. But uh, overall, I would say that um, it's not as bad as people make it out to be. And if you've got the experience part right, I think tenants are going to follow them. Yeah. Well, what do you do as a landlord to help some of these retail tenants? I own one retail center, and 
uh, about every quarter I'll do something to help them mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know I'll send out a mailer to the market mm -hmm. area or do something like that. What are some tips for landlords if they want to try to help their retail tenants? Well, uh, not every tenant is going to hit it out of the park, obviously, yeah. but uh, one thing we do at Heinz, and particularly down at Atlantic Station, a very, very active social media program. We will work with the tenants, and that's not an extra charge, it's just mm -hmm. part of being, you know, one of our, part of being a tenant in one of our centers. Yeah. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, when they've got sales, when they've got new merchandise, when they just want to get the word out again mm -hmm. uh, about an event or whatever happening at the store, uh, that's a service that we, you know, do provide to them. Uh, and uh, we found that over the years, as you know, normal advertising has kind of waned and the social media has taken off. Mm -hmm. uh, you get a whole lot more engagement of their, whatever store it may be, whatever restaurant it may be, who their, you know, core customer is by aiming down that way. Okay. And how do you check out tenants today, <laughs> Nick? You know, it's, it's uh, gone are the days where everyone w uh, did well, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and, and as I talked about in the opening, I guess you want to have some tenants that are kind of new in the mix, right? Mm -hmm. There may be younger startups and things like right. that maybe chef-driven restaurants that mm -hmm. aren't chains. So how do you check out your tenants today? If it's a national tenant, Michael, I think it's pretty easy. You know, they've got X number of stores. You press a button on the internet and know everything you want to know about them from a financial sense. I think with respect to local or somebody kind of emerging, the quality of their website can really tell you a lot about what you need to know, the care and craft that they put into it. That's part of the experience as well. That's, I think, how a lot of customers discover unique brands or restaurants really first. Um, secondly, and I never really put a lot of credence in this, but Yelp comments, particularly on the food side, if somebody's going to go and create a profile and email and everything like that and give somebody a one to five star rating, that passion I think says a lot about the type of experience that that person had. Mm -hmm. And so you see a lot of one stars, you know, it's probably something you're going to kind of veer away from. Three, four, five stars, yeah, I think it's something that, you know, uh, you're going to want to kind of grow with, but uh, sometimes you get some angry people in there and it can skew the results. But right. uh, then overall, I, I think, uh, particularly at Heinz, we've got a very broad and diverse staff, uh, age, gender, and, and getting a mix of opinions about a restaurant, about a retailer, and me being, you know, a 47-year-old male, I may look at a store differently than a 25-year-old female. So yeah. getting the opinion of other people thrown in the mix is very, very important. Yeah, and when you have one of these maybe local tenants, Nick, are you looking at the at the tenant a little more as if maybe you're an investor in the deal, right? That, you know, how who are your customers? How are you reaching them? Right. Are you looking at social media, what they do there? Are you looking at what they do for online as well? Uh, all of the above, okay. yes. And um, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. You become an investor in them. Mm -hmm. and. All great retailers, I had an old mentor tell me, every great retailer started off with one store someplace, right. okay? So Crate and Barrel, whoever it may be, you know, had one store somewhere. Mm -hmm. So kind of seeing through whatever's out there to that potential and what it means to your property, I think that's more art than science, quite frankly. Um, and I, I, I think that there's a uh, there's almost too much information out there sometimes mm -hmm. soon. So if you, if you can just kind of boil it down to what needs you're meeting in your, in your property, uh, I, I think that's a positive thing. I think one of the things that has hurt the mall REITs over the years is the, all the malls for the most part look the same. And the retailers and the REITs grew in a very, very, uh, you know, kind of concurrent way uh, throughout the 80s and 90s. Um, with the advent of the internet, I don't think it's so much about taking sales away 
from what used to be in store to now that's that's going to be online. It's the mall REITs and especially retailers decided what was cool. Okay, now with the internet, they don't need that medium anymore, and it's kind of the shoes on the other foot, and they've kind of flipped that equation. So they can find out who their customers are by being online, then place their stores where their customers are. So the model has been really you know turned upside down. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting, you know, but. Back in the day, it seemed like a more straightforward, and now you kind of got to look at a tenant. So, well, tell me what you're doing online, and let mm -hmm. me see your social media presence right. too, right? Mm -hmm. I, I would assume that if a tenant number comes of followers, in, right? Yeah, if their yes. social media mm -hmm. is, is just terrible. You're like, well, mm -hmm. what, what's wrong with you? <laughs> True, and then particularly in food, okay, yeah. um, a Zagat rating mm -hmm. or your Yelp uh, score, things like that. I think say say a yeah. lot about. Uh, the quality of, of an operator. Okay, mm -hmm. and Nick, let's talk about some ideas when a tenant comes to you and they say they're struggling, they're, mm -hmm. they're struggling with their numbers, mm -hmm. uh, and they ask you for help. They, they ask for a rent reduction or whatever it is they ask for. What, what are some things that you, you might do in that case? Um, like I said before, nobody ever, you're, you never bat a thousand, okay? And not everybody's gonna hit it out of the park. I, I kind of put it, if that were to come mm -hmm. around, um, I kind of put the tenant in one of two categories. Mm -hmm. Are you the tenant that's generating traffic for the shopping center, or are you the beneficiary of all the traffic that is being generated I from like the shopping center? I like that as a starting okay? point. Right? right. I think the other thing you gotta kind of evaluate is, is this a chain of 800 or 1,000 stores, or a chain of 10? Uh, because uh, if you want to grow with that concept in your other properties, you may want to think about giving them some help. Um, one of the things I've done is, is when somebody does come to me, and it's unfortunate when somebody does come to you, I say, all right, you know, you can cut the rent, but landlord has a right to take your space back. Because yeah. if I, I don't want them there, number one, if they're not drawing traffic, and number mm -hmm. two, if their sales productivity is weak, they're weighing down the center. Right. So I'll help out somebody with a little bit of rent relief, and it doesn't happen all the time, mm -hmm. but landlord will get a right to you know take the space back and recapture that that recently happened down at atlantic station on a very underproductive food use and i did cut somebody's rent and i was able to find a replacement tenant in about you know 75 days or so yeah and i think that's important and i see some landlords that, that don't do that mm -hmm. uh they give the a tenant some sort of relief and they don't get nothing they get nothing in return and it'd be nice to have that flexibility uh, so, hey, if you're struggling, then maybe you, 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 you're relieving the tenant of that burden mm -hmm. is what you can do yeah, I, I, is, putting a new tenant in. You know, personally, I don't like to hurt people, okay? Right. But if, like I said, if it's a chain of 800 or 1,000 stores mm -hmm. and somebody's not quite hitting it out of the park, you know, 18, 19, 20% occupancy, that blends in with a bigger corporation, okay? Yeah. But if you see a chain struggling nationwide, okay, and their sales are down everywhere, you need to start thinking a little bit more further down the road. It's like, are these guys gonna make it? And when we do get the keys back, what are we gonna do with the space? Yeah. Do you also, Nick, look at, if they're asking you to see, hey, is this a, uh, a problem for the, the center, or is it really a problem with the tenant's operations? Sometimes that happens, uh, particularly on the franchise side of things. You can get a great concept, but if you've got a weak operator, uh, it's not, it's, it's just not going to work. Um, sometimes you get people just with a lot of money burning a hole in their pocket and they want to you know, buy a franchise, whether it be casual food or fashion or something like that, and they just think you, know, you pay somebody 12, 15 bucks an hour to run a store for you. Uh, retail is not for the faint of heart. It really isn't. Running restaurants is not for the faint of heart, and it yeah. requires a deep, deep commitment. And the people that do it well, they live it you know, 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. um, so who's running the store, I, I think, is very, very important and often underestimated factor in that decision. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. I had a tenant recently that asked me for a rent reduction from a client and I would spend some time in the store mm -hmm. and saw their salespeople making some very big mistakes. Mm -hmm. 
And you know, and I think part of the problem there is I think the the uh, franchisor is concerned if they do too much training with this employee mm -hmm. that maybe the employee becomes a tenant of the franchisor. Right. It's <laughs> I, I've seen that happen in kind of a broad sense where yeah. you get a franchisee who's actually running the franchise better than the franchisor mm -hmm. kind of standardizes everybody else to do so. Mm -hmm. um, they kind of become a thorn in their side and they're not operating per the agreement. Yeah. Yet the cash register's ringing, sales per square foot, so landlord's happy about that, mm -hmm. yet they're getting their wrist slapped. So, yeah. um, but with you know a lot of better run national uh, chains and whatnot, I, I think um, uh, that if you get the right operator, things tend to work well. But quite frankly, I've seen in the past, particularly in the casual food world, um, a lot of franchisors are more interested in generating fees than they are really in running restaurants, and mm -hmm. those are the people you got to kind of avoid. Yeah, and do you find some of these franchisors, if a franchisee tenant's having a problem, uh, that the franchisor may want to come in and take over the store and resell it to, to another uh, operator? I definitely prefer that. We structure that in all our leases yeah. and uh, giving them the right to do so. The franchisee just can't sell it to anybody. It you know, mm -hmm. would have to go back to the franchisor. If somebody can come in and sharpen the operation, whether it be staffing, whether it be product, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's something landlords, uh, at least in my experience, we've always kind of encouraged. Yeah. Are you seeing anything else that's uh, kind of trending, Nick, as far mm -hmm. as lease negotiations go? Mm -hmm. That some of these tenants are, are looking for in their leases mm -hmm. uh, that, that may have changed? Uh, insurance has become more of a heavily negotiated mm -hmm. uh, issue uh, mm -hmm. recently. Um, a lot of my experience prior to joining the Heinz was just in the single-use mall world. And so many of those national tenants, Michael, had standard leases with Simon, with General Growth, two people I've worked for in the past. So it's not something I ever really had to work out. Now working for Heinz, particularly down at Atlantic Station, Number one, it's a mixed-use environment, and there's factors in a mixed-use environment that don't play into a mall. Yeah. Um, you know, apartments or offices leaking into your space below, and uh, you've got public streets as opposed to private roads and whatnot. So there's a lot of things that, particularly national tenants, don't understand. I, I would say maybe that's not the right choice of words. They're but not used they're to the exactly, all the time. They're not used to because so many yeah. of their leases are in single type properties. Right. So that's become more of an issue. And then I think, and I've tried, and I haven't been really successful at it though, is you know getting in a half a percent of online sales, but everybody's kind of pushing back at that. Even local people, mm -hmm. like a great local boutique that may have a decent online presence, trying to even capture you know, one percent of their online get, get presence. percentage rent on it. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's yeah. really pushed back hard on that as well. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, it's interesting because you know some of these your tenants are becoming just showrooms, right? Mm. Um, <laughs> the the good ones are doing. I, I think are balancing it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think we move beyond just a box for people to come and pick up goods in. I, I think footprints are getting a little bit smaller with people, and they're maximizing what they can do in them. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, you can press a button if they don't have the item in the store and it's on your front step the next morning. So I, I think that will be a trend down the road is people getting a little bit smaller, not needing as much GLA in these centers. Yeah. And what's the particular issue with uh, insurance that tenants are having? Um, a lot of them don't like to go to the standard that we want them to go to. Of the uh, coverage levels. Correct. Yes. Okay. And again, in a mixed use environment, it's you've got people living there. You've got people working there. You've got, yeah. particularly at Atlantic Station, we do 300 public events every year, everything from Cirque du Soleil and the Atlanta Tennis Tournament to yoga in the park. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a whole lot more chance for something out of the normal 
to kind of happen. So, um, and just getting people on board with that, I, I find it's been a little bit tougher. But yeah. it, it's not it's not an easy discussion. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think they kind of start to see the light. Yeah. How are do you see uh, retail owners and asset managers uh, as compared to office asset managers and owners related to how they handle tenant reps? Mm -hmm. You know, coming from Heinz that I kind of know of as an office owner. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then you, and then having retail seems like a lot of the large office owners are are very receptive and really work well with tenant reps and mm -hmm. and, and take care of us and right. welcome us and, mm -hmm. and uh, work well with us but I see some retail landlords that aren't as, as happy to work with with tenant reps mm -hmm. what do, what do you see what do you recommend uh, I think it's a balance and I think the office world has always been about that having you know brokers outside brokers bringing landlords tenants. Mm -hmm. In the national retail world, your chain type retail, apparel, home furnishings, most of those companies have a national director of real estate. Mm -hmm. And in 22 years in this business, I've built up a lot of relationships. And mm -hmm. while I prefer to work directly with the person at the company, they're, to the, they're the decision maker. At the end of the day, they're the tenant. Um, but once you get outside of that mall world, a lot of these chains do hire street brokers, so to speak, because <laughs> it's, not, um, it's not as easily understandable as, as a mall with four or five anchors and a bunch of co-tenancy. So mixed use by nature um, has been one of the uh, drivers of breaking up kind of that mall map system of just not having the same type of tenants. Mm -hmm. So when you get a national tenant who wants to kind of explore that route, they do hire a local broker. Mm -hmm. We've always worked well with local brokers mm -hmm. um, and uh, want to embrace that community um, and want to tell our story. Yeah. And um, sometimes when they, when a tenant hears it from somebody who lives there, particularly in the market, they're more likely to believe it yeah. than a true landlord rep. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I think it, it's worked out well for us. Yeah, I, I just had a recent experience with a pretty large uh, landlord uh, that uh, didn't treat a tenant very well in renewal, didn't mm -hmm. treat me very well as, a, as the street broker. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I'll ever bring that landlord a tenant. Mm -hmm. And I think if the tenant's looking at it, I'm going to suggest that they, they stay away from that landlord. Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting as, as, uh, as tables turn uh, to landlord to mm -hmm. tenant markets, how that works. And I think you always really want to embrace. Uh, and I like that new, I not heard that term. I guess now I'm a, I'm a street broker. I like that. <laughs> Nick, great information thank as usual. Much. Thank you for joining us. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for yeah. having me. And thank you for joining us. Now stay with us. We'll have more on retail. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Invest alongside real estate experts, sponsors who have a successful track record and skin in the game. It's as easy as one, two, three. Learn about the deals, make your investment, and grow your financial wealth. Visit ArborCrowd.com. Video is powerful. Some of the biggest brands in commercial real estate have trusted us to tell their story. We are Barnes Creative Studios, premier commercial real estate video services. BarnesCreativeStudios.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by Barnes Creative Studios. Check them out for a video for your next project. Our show today is Retail the Real Story. 
Please welcome my next guest, Jeremy Cohen. He's a partner with the law firm Hartman Simons. Jeremy, thanks for joining us here in Studio thanks One. Thanks for having me, Michael. Well, Jeremy, you're on the real world. You're right there in the thick of things, being a, a lawyer and working in the retail world all the time. And, and your firm is really well known for being in, in retail and focusing on it. I know you guys have a, um, a big time coming up at ICSC Recon coming up in uh, Vegas. You guys are going to have a big party, right? Party at the uh, Chateau at Paris. It's uh, the, the about 24th year in a row that we've been having this party, and uh, usually pretty good turnout. Yeah. So looking forward to it. Good. And, and Jeremy, you guys work with a lot of uh, developers, and you've seen a, a lot of changes uh, working with these developers. And kind of what's new with them today? You know, it's, it's a good question. You know, with, with having been so focused on retail, Michael, for the past you know, number of years, you're seeing a big change. There's a change going on right now across, I think, the retail market where it's, you know, the focus is not as much on retail, but it's on a mixed use. Mm -hmm. You're seeing a lot more of uh, what was traditionally retail developers trying to look at other avenues because you have a, uh, unfortunately, a shrinkage, as it were, uh, of the retailers that are out there. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, they're kind of mixing up these uh, uses more, uh, and they're not kind of separating them like they did in the old days, right? Exactly right. It's a, uh, you know, in the old days, you had your power center, and it was either anchored by a Target, a Home Depot, a Lowe's, anyone, a Costco, any one of the big boxes, and then you would have your strip center next to it, and it would be whatever it was, you know, Best Buy, TJ, Ross, and then you have those strip centers. And then if you wanted to do something else, a theater, a health club, you had to have them completely away. And if you were going to do a residential, that was somewhere else. Or if you were going to do office and a big project, that was also somewhere else. And now, as you said, you're finding that you have to combine them. And you have to, because the real estate, you want to put them all in one sort of one location at one place because that's how you're going to get a return. Yeah, and that's what the retailers want, right? Well, you know, they didn't always want it. <laughs> right. Uh, they, uh, you know, if you had your theaters and the, and the folks that were the quote-unquote parking hogs, they didn't want them in the center because they just thought, oh, my customers aren't going to have any place to park, and as a result, I'm going to lose business, and that's not going to be good for me. And they're coming to the realization now that we need customers. <laughs> However they get here, we need folks right. to show up and shop. And if that means you're coming to work out at a health club, and yeah, it's not as far away as I would like it, but they're gonna, and they're going to park there for an hour, two hours at a time, if they cross shop at all, it's a win for us. Yeah. So. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're looking for the uh, footsteps coming in the door. Anybody right. that can show up and say, hey, yeah. I need to get something here. Yeah. Now, there's another benefit, I guess. If you're a retail developer uh, in the old days and you were in retail, you were really in retail. Well, now if you're doing development, you probably are doing mixed use. So you also have some diversification there. Right? Absolutely. You have folks that... And it's been a learning curve. I mean, a lot of our clients, a lot of my clients that are uh, trying to understand, you know, they're not familiar with an office, you know, how that prices out and what the, you know, the cap rates are on, on having an office component, or, or for that matter, residential or, or multifamily. And so what you find, what they're trying to do, a lot of the folks, you bring in a partner. And though, you know, the old saying, you know, if you want to create 50% more headaches for yourself, bring on a partner. <laughs> Unfortunately, with today's world, in today's yeah. retail world, yeah. you're having no choice. Unless you can really understand how do the economics work with a, a, a multifamily um, component of your overall project, you're better off bringing on someone that has the expertise. Yeah, yeah, I certainly agree with that. Uh, get somebody that's kind of uh, done it before, been there, and uh, has done enough projects lately to know how to get them off the ground and make them work. And you're also, I guess, as you're negotiating these leases, I guess, when we're talking about the old days, you know, <laughs> prior to 10 years older, ago, right. um, use clauses 
uh, we're pretty strict in these centers now. What do you see today? You're absolutely right. The, the use clauses for the old centers, and you, there were certain things you just wouldn't even ask to carve out. Mm -hmm. You know, as a lawyer, you're always trying to you, massage around the edges to give your client, the developer, as much flexibility as possible to do as many of the, you know, other uses that you would want to try to fill up space. Mm -hmm. You know, because again, no offense to the big boxes, they're the ones, your clients aren't making a lot of money on the, on the big box deals. Mm -hmm. They're just not. Mm -hmm. They're making them on the small shops and in the out parcels. Mm -hmm. Well, today, you know, those restricted use clauses where you couldn't do anything other than retail and it had to be specific kinds of retail are starting to, you know, they're starting to understand and be more uh, um, receptive to, yeah. to uh, medical office. You know, okay, understanding, okay, there are going to be people that are going to drive a medical office or even any kind of office use that you can mix into the center. Again, it's all about traffic. How do we generate traffic? Were some of these tenants kind of... Uh, Pushing back a little bit when you know some of your landlord clients were like, "Hey, we've got to get some of these different uses in here so you can have some traffic." And you do have restrictive covenant in your lease about this. Did you get some pushback? Always, you know. Yeah. I mean, again, you have a unless your unless your clients, you know, someone who just fell off the turnip truck, as the saying goes, <laughs> you are going to. Uh, you're always going to have a tenant that says, no, we don't want that. And you always have to speak to the, you know, spend time, you know, over the things that we do on a daily basis, the prohibited use clause, you spend a ton of time on it because yeah. you really try to, you know, create as much flexibility for the landlord to be able to do it. And so the real estate managers nowadays for all the big companies are much more willing to at least, first of all, they wouldn't listen. You would, and you wouldn't, as a lawyer, if you've been doing it long enough, you would know not to even ask for certain carve-outs for things. You just wouldn't ask. You wouldn't yeah. say, okay, you know, now you're at least saying, hey, we need, give us the ability to do 10,000 square feet, or give us the ability to do a, a permitted area where I can do any of these uses as long as it's, you know, this whole area. Yeah. And that, what else are you seeing, Jeremy, related to uh, negotiated parts of leases and clauses related to flexibility. Are there any other things that are kind of coming up today? Sure. The, uh, you know, another one that you see a lot of in that we spend time negotiating are mm -hmm. co-tenancy clauses. Mm -hmm. Because you know, co-tenancy clause in terms of it used to be, okay, you can have three boxes and name whoever they are, and then you can maybe have the replacements for those as long as they're a national retailer that has, you know, X number of stores. Well, now it's, you try to get away from, you're trying to get away from some of that and say, listen, I don't know who's going to be here. You know, I don't know if they're going to be, you know, Toys R Us being a perfect example, they're going, you know, having filed bankruptcy. I don't know who I can name, and I don't know if I'm going to find another retailer that's going to take up all of the space in one box. But what I do know is, I'll agree with you, I'm going to have X percentage of the center filled. Yeah. There'll be, and I don't know what those uses may be down the road, because again, it's a changing world, and maybe the Amazons, and maybe who, who knows what it's going to be, but I'll give you 60,000 square feet of, you know, shopping of yeah. people who are here to shop, either retail yeah. or something else. Yeah. And of course, if you're in retail, you know co-tenancy, but if you're maybe in another specialty, that gives some rights to some of the tenants in a center if a major tenant or an anchor tenant uh, leaves. And those, uh, those rights may be to get out of the lease eventually or a reduced rent, right? So what else are you seeing that's uh, maybe a little different in leases today from in, back in the old days. <laughs> well, you know, so, all right, so we talked about co-tenancy clauses are changing, so you know you have that. You yeah. have the use clauses, you both either what your use is going to be versus, you know, the rest of the center, either exclusives versus landlord covenants. And, you tr and again, those are great to protect um, the, the one specific tenant that's going in there. If I'm a Best Buy, I want to be the only electronics retailer in here. Or if I'm Home Depot, I'm the only one selling hammers. Those are great. You know, first of all, the back in the old days, it used to be if you could get it, a give none, get none. 
You know, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and do true, you know, Adam Smith, free economy reigns. Whatever I can sell, if I can sell it better than you, I'm gonna have more customers. Mm -hmm. That was the original back in the '90s. Mm -hmm. You and I are old. Uh, th that's where it started. Then eventually, you know, you, if you didn't have the, the necessary way to convince the retailers that was okay, then you try to get in a hybrid of a landlord covenant versus an exclusive. Landlord covenant being, I'll protect you. If I'm the guy in the front end, me being the landlord, I'll protect your tenant, I won't do a lease with one of your competitors. Mm -hmm. Versus an exclusive, which just says, not only will I not lease to you, but I won't, uh, I won't allow it in the center. So I'll control assignments, I'll control subletting, I'll control anything. No matter what, I will protect that particular electronics use, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, nowadays, you, know, you try to explain to them that, listen, exclusives are bad. Okay? You're not, if you want co-tenancies and exclusive, you're, there's going to be a shortage. Yeah. Okay? I'm not going to be able to fill in my center. Yeah. Okay, just plain and simple. I'm going to have to come up with something else because the, the number of retailers that are out there, big, you know, for bricks and mortar, are shrinking mm -hmm. rapidly. So you have to come up with another part of it is how do I protect you? Again, I don't want to put you don't want to, and it's bad for your own business as a landlord. You say, listen, I'm not going to put, you know, Circuit City, bad example, but I'm not going to put Best Buy and Fries and, and these folks all in the same center because that's not good either. Yeah. That's not good for you. It's not good for me. But I, you know, I need to have a good tenant mix that allows you know, to draw customers as well yeah. for everybody. Yeah, so. makes sense. We're talking with Jeremy Cohen with Hartman Simons. He's a retail lawyer. And, and Jeremy, one of the things that uh, I want to ask you about is how are you, are you having any pushback from tenants uh, or issues uh, on the legal side, on the lease negotiation side, and, and kind of on the operations in mixed-use developments, especially from the retailers who are, are kind of not used to being in that environment? And that's it's an excellent question, you know, Michael. The it's harder. Mm -hmm. It is harder now. Um, most of the tenants that we're you know starting to deal with that are going into these mixed-use projects understand that it's a different animal. Understand that it's not. This isn't your. 80s, 90s, 2000s strip center, you know, we're going to have 100,000 square feet in one line and that's what it's going to be. They understand, listen, this is a development that is going to, whether it's a city development, a lot of the mixed use developments that we're seeing and that I'm working on personally are like a city, kind of like New York City, mm -hmm. where you have, you know, retail on the bottom, office, and then, you know, residential, multifamily up. Uh, you know, above, uh, you know, going vertical. Mm -hmm. That's just new. I yeah. mean, and so you have retailers, you have to explain them, listen, I know you want this. I know this is what you're used to seeing, mm -hmm. but this isn't how that this project's really going to work. And the ones that are willing to do it, you know, that are, you know, hip enough, as I would say, you know, <laughs> that, are, that are, can figure it out, it'll happen, you know, yeah. and you can get it done. Yeah. That's we need more hip retail. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> anything, anything that people want to go shop. Right? Exactly. What's, what, what's where people want to go. And so in those mixed-use uh, developments, uh, what are some of the issues that maybe the tenants are, are having challenges with or takes a little uh, getting used to? Is it the, maybe the shared parking or kind of not disrupting some of the other uses like re residential? That's both, both, both exactly correct. Mm -hmm. The, uh, you know, the parking is a big one, and it always is. You know, the number one concern is the retailer. I need to have my customers have visible parking, easily accessible. That is, you know, that we can pull in and out. When I pull into a center, I want to be able to have 100 spots available. And so, if you have, you know, if it's in a parking deck, you know, because a lot of most of mixed-use projects have to have some, usually have some kind of parking deck structure. That's new. It's new for the customers too. You know, you and I, we drive there. You know, where do I park? Oh, I got to put it in here, and I got to go up a level, and then I got to go across. That's not easy. That's something that it's going to take some getting used to. Yeah. So operationally, that's one of the concerns. Um, you know, yes, like restaurants, for example, any of the restaurants, and we're doing a lot of them that go in either whether it's a food hall, which is the new buzz word, and everyone's doing the food hall. Mm -hmm. um, if you're putting the food, if you're putting a restaurant in the bottom of a mixed-use building. 
There's a lot of operational concerns as far as venting, as far as odors, uh, you know, trash removal, all the things that you would normally you know, take sort of take for granted. If they're on an outpost, you don't think about it at all. Yeah. Restaurant, you just take, do you do what you do and make sure you know it looks okay. Yeah. It's your landlord. And the mixed use, you can't. You as a landlord, you have to have a much more uh, controlling right to understand what their operations are and how it's going to look because you have people either above them, next to them, you know, adjacent, and that's you know that's going to take time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jeremy, what would you leave our audience with related to retail today? Uh, changing world. It's, uh, you know, change or die. You know, it's understand that what you're getting yourself into isn't what it used to be. And while there may still be ground up developments, you know, a lot of it's backfilling. So I think, you know, if you're going to get into retail development now, understand that you better have a broader base and understanding of, of, of real estate in general. Yeah. Well, good tip, Jeremy. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. All right. Stay with us. We'll have more on retail, the real story. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Promote your business to the U.S. commercial real estate industry. Click advertise at the show website, CREshow.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I am Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by The News Funnel. Check them out at thenewsfunnel.com. And today we are talking about retail, the real story. One of the big retail events of the year is ICSC Recon. And this year in Vegas, it's May 20th to May 23rd. Please welcome my next guest. It's Stephanie Sigalski, and she is with ICSC. Stephanie is joining us on Skype. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. So, Stephanie, it's a big event, and, and quickly, the numbers. How many attendees? How big is this? Uh, we generally have around 37,000 attendees over the course of the three days. Uh, so, it's an incredibly large event and a very exciting time in Las Vegas. Yeah, I mean, if you're in retail uh, or retail real estate, it's uh, really the place to be uh, for those three days. And Stephanie, so what's new? What should people expect? Uh, maybe be a little different this year. Uh, this year we have we have an exciting lineup of speakers. We have Michael Strahan, Damon John, and um, Jessica Fleiss, who, as she founded Rent the Runway. Uh, I'm sorry, it's Jennifer Fleiss. That's my fault. I keep calling her Jessica. Um, <laughs> And we also will be uh, showcasing the Innovation Exchange, which will have roughly two dozen different um, tech companies who are in the retail and retail real estate um, space, which will be anything from um, kind of the 3D space to work in to um, uh, mirror, uh, 3D mirrors and things that can be incorporated in dressing rooms um, to artificial intelligence helping you to shop and pick your items out. Oh, that's awesome. Now, and where is this? Which hall? This will be in um, just the, the large uh, hallway um, between Central Hall and North Hall. So it'll be the Grand Lobby. Okay. Uh, what, uh, what's going on for entertainment? 
Uh, other than the keynote speakers, there will be the usual lineup of uh, parties and um, get-togethers where people can chat and um, hear great music and eat great food. Uh, our foundation will be doing um, their annual gala at um, the fashion mall there uh, instead of uh, in the Wynn Hotel where it has historically been. Uh, GGP has been kind enough to give us space. Um, so it'll be a very kind of retail real estate experience for the attendees of that event. Yeah. Well, you know, if you really listen to the press, uh, Stephanie, uh, retail's dead. <laughs> so <laughs> how, how is this event so big this year? Well, retail's not dead, um, despite what the headlines say. In fact, it's it's like anything, it's in the process of an evolution. You know, we have seen um, a lot of announced store closures last year. We've seen a few this year. Um, you know, unfortunately, Toys R Us is is going through liquidation, but that was due to their, their you know, leveraged buyout issues and their debt load. Uh, but there's a lot of new and exciting retail coming to the front, and there's a lot of new experiences coming to these locations. So retail's not dead, it's just changing. It's changing with demographics. Uh, the way that millennials shop is different than the way that baby boomers shop, and um, the industry is responding to that. Yeah, and I guess you'll have a lot more of these kind of experiential uh, tenants at the event this year, right? Absolutely. Uh, we are really trying to incorporate as broad a spectrum of um, potential tenants as we can and the future technology. You know, one of the things that we face is the, the pace at which technology changes. And so we want to showcase that and we want to share it with people so that they can incorporate it into their properties and their businesses. Yeah. And I don't know if this, maybe this technology is out there, but I was in a store the other day and I thought, why don't, why don't I have an app on my phone that when I walk in the store, it tells me where every product is in the store so I can run around. Does, does that exist yet? Well, you know, the geolocator type of service is definitely out there. It is um, progressing and getting better. And you, I think you're going to start to see retailers incorporating that so that it's not just where is the product, but, you know, a little bit like when you use your, your grocery card and it gives you the coupons for the items that you buy most. Um, it'll be able to kind of tell you, here's what you typically have bought in the past. Would you like to buy more of that? Uh, I think that's part of where technology is headed with the shopping experience. Yeah, well, it should be. I, I, you know, I want to get in the store and be able to pick three items and have it direct me right to the items. I was in a grocery store with my son when he was younger. And, and uh, he said, Dad, you don't know where anything is in this store, do you? I said, no, son, I don't. Uh, he said, when's the last time you were in the store? I said, well, uh, that would have been when I got married. Uh, so, and, uh, but, but they were glad to see me. You know why, Stephanie? I went down the aisle that had these uh, freezers, freezers on each side. As I walked down, they lit them up. As I walked down the aisle, it was magical. Okay. <laughs> so what? So what's new for attendees, or not what's new? What's what are tips? You know, it seems like, especially if you've been there in the past, maybe maybe it's changed, or if uh, you really want to get more out of this show, it's so busy. There's so much going on. What are some tips for attendees? Well, you know, this year there are actually some great um, professional development sessions, uh, and they cover everything from public policy 
to um, lessons learned from the hurricanes last year. We saw uh, all of our members and those communities coming together. Um, so there's some great opportunities to learn uh, just some new information uh, that can be applied to their everyday business. Uh, obviously the information exchange, the younger participants can go to the um, professional talent development um, area and get some resume writing tips and network with people. So I think it's just going to be a great time to network with people and um, see what's new and exciting and the future of the industry. Yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible <laughs> event. Are there any deals for students or veterans or anything? Uh, there is a student discount. Mm -hmm. um, I'm peeking to see if I have it in front of me. I don't, but there is a student discount. Um, you know, there's also this, there's a student competition uh, that is put on through Cornell University. And I think we have a dozen different universities participating in that this year to come up with the um, center of the future. So there's a great opportunity to see what these young minds are doing uh, and what their thoughts are on the future of the industry. All right. Well, what's your closing thought, Stephanie, for the commercial real estate industry around the country about recon? Uh, it's a great experience. It's a great opportunity to network with people. It's obviously a big deal-making conference or a, event, um, but it's it's a great opportunity to hear from different sectors and different people uh, about anything that um, touches the industry, from you know tax reform to technology to um, whatever uh, you know future lies ahead of us. So it's just a great opportunity to learn from peers and meet people and have a great time in Vegas. Be there or be square. <laughs> Stephanie, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. And thank you for joining us around the country. Let us know what you think. Retail is certainly a changing world and uh, an exciting one. You know, uh, I always come back to real estate, think uh, retail, thinking that retail is really good real estate. It's really well located. And uh, that means there's a lot of opportunity when there are changes going on in the market. So let us know what you think. Connect with us on your favorite social media. And be sure and join us next week. We'll have another great show. Until then, be sure you always lead, learn, and laugh. And join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. Asset and Occupancy Solutions, Arbor Crowd, Invest Alongside Experts, Get Valuate, Online Investment Analysis, Real Crowd, Crowdfunding with Professionals, Apto, The Ultimate Brokerage Software, The News Funnel, Real Estate News Personalized, CommercialAgentSuccess.com, Video Training from Michael Bull. To access these great companies or for more videos, podcasts, and articles, visit CREshow.com.